But when it actually comes to making stuff, we're not encouraging that within our younger generation. I didn't expect to be earning what I earned when I was going around the country selling stainless steel tubes. And I found it, you know, really for what I got paid, it was, it was, a, it was a nice job, really. Now, one of our members has started making stainless steel straws. Your missus has got one, hasn't she? Yeah, she's got a 430 dull polished <laughs> stainless steel straw. Is it do bird? Well, yeah, it's lovely, mate, honestly. Yeah. Bead removed, mate, bead controlled. This week's guest is Rob Cooper from the British Stainless Steel Association. Um, BSSA is an event we've been getting involved with previous to when we set up Compton Group anyway in our, our previous lives in the industry. Uh, and Rob's been there a couple of years now, started during COVID, tried to mix things up a bit and he's pushing it forward well, but I thought he was he was quality today. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a really good, really good association, isn't it? Yeah. We've been on board since we set the business up and, you know, we always find it worthwhile, don't we? You know, it's... Um, really interesting people and everyone's passionate about what they do people are there to to learn about what they can do to improve the business what help and supports out for the businesses um, and generally networking with you know the supply chain as well so it's 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 a great event um you know actually this podcast is the podcast that stopped us from going to a certain pub anymore so That's thanks, right, yeah. so thanks for that rob because it's yeah. been a big help pete give up drinking for two 12 months since. Straight after this, you know, because we left the tap of £13.80 for four cappuccinos. Yeah. But, um, yeah, good but, yeah. times. Yeah, good times, yeah. But I think when what, what struck me was when we, we finished this podcast, you were like really kind of buzzing really about the industry again because we were talking about all the the new market sectors and the new kind of usages of stainless steel that, that Rob kind of foresaw that were going to be occurring. I mean, it, what we will need to say is, again, this podcast, similar to the one with uh, FC Laser and Sustain, was recorded in 2021. So some of the things that Rob has alluded to, were, particularly when we talk about the UK Metal Expo, obviously that was last week now, so we were talking about that 18 months prior. Uh, and also we talked a little bit about some of the uh, inco terms and the potential dumping tariffs and things like that obviously a lot of that's been ironed out since so there are not necessarily some inaccuracies more just what was going on specifically at that time the big thing for me was all the positives all the things that were happening and all the all the usages or potential usages of stainless you know so again take a listen see what you think of the pod and we'd be interested to hear your uh, your feedback after you've heard it Hi guys, Pete Comerford, Michael Bolton. The Metal Guys. We're joined today by Rob Cooper, who's MD of the BSSA, British Stainless Steel Association. Rob has been in the uh, industry, let's be kind here, for approximately touching maybe a little over 30 years. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's quite all right. <laughs> Started his career in the industry with a stint at BSS. And then he's worked for a number of big players, including RGB, Metsec, eight years at Otacompu, a stint at Tissan Aerospace, as well as VDM. And more recently at Apparam, he was the MD up until 2020 when he joined the British Stainless Steel Association. So if we can just start, why, how did you get involved in the industry? I fell into the industry by mistake. 
I think like quite a number of people. Didn't we all? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Not unusual. I finished my A-levels in art, geography and economics, so really related to the steel yeah. industry. Natural progression there. Absolutely, right? totally. And ended up joining a builder's merchant, actually, at the time as a management trainee. So I sort of like got my interest in metals, really, on the copper and brass and bronze side, selling plumbing and heating fittings and things like that. So that was really my introduction to the metals industry before moving on to BSS, where we were doing industrial heating, pipe work. How long were you there at BSS? About seven years in total. Because they were, I mean, they're a big outfit now, but going back, yeah, but going back to that time, they were massive. Absolutely. It was all BSS or Wolseley Group, of which both are still very much around. But I think the businesses have totally restructured since the 80s and early 90s when I was uh, kicking around. They're still using the same green screen, though, we're told, the uh, S400 system. They haven't got rid of it. Oh, right. (laughs) Marvellous. That brings back some memories. Yeah, so, you know, I I stumbled into it, and, and I stumbled into stainless steel very much by accident because the branch of BSS that I was working for is very much an area that was petrochem- and process orientated and we used to get customers coming in all the time wanting scheduled pipe work for the industrial plants and uh, ultimately I put a proposal into my then boss saying we ought to put some of this on the floor because we get asked for it all the time we're buying it back to back we're losing orders because we haven't got the stock and we did that and I ended up buying material from Chris Shervington who sadly yeah the end of last year So I bought my fittings and flanges from Chris and a load of pipe from Dale Robinson. Was it Wolseley then? No, it was, Chris was, he had his own, or he was a partner in a business called Wolf Pipelines at the time. That's going back, isn't it? So that's uh, going back a lot of years. Chris used to talk about them a lot, Wolf, because he used to buy from Sherbo as well. Chris Price. Yeah, another one, yeah. another relic another from relic, the yeah. industry. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that sort of like got my interest, and then I had an opportunity to join RGB as their rep, their sales rep. Right, this is the- this is the bit that excites me, yeah. RGB, <sighs> because when I worked at UKF, they had an RGB book. I still have my RGB book, the Bible. We still have ours, don't we? We, we have upstairs. ours. Yeah. yeah. So what was that like as a culture RGB, firstly? What, I mean, what kind of, what was it like? Because there's so many stories. You could, we could do a series on RGB, I'm sure. It was a lot of fun. It was certainly a, a, an industry of characters. I joined after the original owners of RGB were, were in the process of leaving. I think John Humphreys was still on the scene then, but he was the, the last one of the original owners that was involved in any way, shape or form. But Peter Rose was the MD, and what a gentleman Peter Peter was, a fantastic guy, really nice guy to work for. But then we had characters like John Sanyo, he was running the fittings and flanges side then, the tube, uh, well, not the pipe side, but the fittings and flanges side. And he's he's gone on to do various various other things within the industry. And I'm just, I, I don't know I, he may have retired, but I, I'm not. Yeah, he's retired now. I went yeah I went for a pint with him in between the lockdowns last year. Ah, good, yeah. And he's still 
gambling. Oh, he still likes heavily. The, yeah, on the horses, horses. and greyhounds. But well, anything, anything. anything <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's, he's doing really well. He's doing really well. Sounds like a rock man. Oh, uh, John's John's a character. Yeah, could be an expensive day out, but yeah, sounds sounds like a fun lad. Yeah, he was expensive to work with as well. He used to break phones on a very regular basis. So, <laughs> so what? Yeah, what was it like, RGB? Because you know, my, my old man worked there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, price you. Yeah almost mentored me really in the industry and there's loads of people who've set businesses up that came through from rgb and a lot of the i mean they're kind of dying out now aren't they but some of these people that have got the real skill set was an rgb backing so tell us about the company the company say when i was there sandvik had certainly taken over the majority shareholdership but there was always a, a, a philosophy there of, of making sure that all the staff, not just sales staff, but all the staff really knew about the products, what they were selling, where they came from, how they were made, all the markets. You know, the thing that was always drilled into me when I started and, and my sales manager there was Alec Ferguson, I hasten to say. Not the Alec Ferguson, but mm-hmm. uh, an Alex Ferguson. And, you know, his philosophy was very much know what you're talking about when you go and see customers or when you talk to customers give them some information go and talk to them about the alloy surcharges go and talk to them about lead times just don't go in there and say got any orders to place mate you know so there was always a story there something to go and see people about and tell them about and and that really started the whole thing off to me and i realized that that's what it's all about the whole industry is about sharing information passing snippets around, making people really aware of what's going on out there. And, you know, that was right the way across the board. And the people were really interested in their products. You know, each of the product managers, it was Roy Harris doing bar sales. Pet Matthews was there doing flat products at that time. Liz Little, John on tubular and John on the fittings and flanges side. And they were all absolutely fanatical about their products. And that was right the way across the board. Plus, they had really good technical support in-house as well as via the mills. So, you know, there was all this sorts of stuff going on. And it was a very forward-thinking company at that time. Pete Rose invested quite a lot, new bar saws, you know. And also, there was a geographic presence as well because when I was there, there was Aberdeen, Widnes Branch. There was Teesside Branch and down at Colnebrook as well, down near Heathrow. So, you know, it was quite well spread across the country at the time. I believe Liz Reynolds lot used to front up your side over yes. in Ireland as in well. Ireland, yeah, Occasionally absolutely. they used to give you the orders as well, didn't they? Occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never paid on time now, guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you talk about the education there. It sounds like the team really well, you know, technically they, they were solid, weren't they? They were yeah. strong. Me and Mike talk about this quite a lot about training in the industry. I mean, do you, do you think it's changed quite a bit, you know, over the last 20 years in terms of the quality of the people in the industry and having that kind of knowledge that maybe you guys had 20 years back? I think there is a problem in the industry with, with knowledge and knowledge base on there. I don't think the businesses actually that we have now, certainly on the distributor side, I don't think that's the problem. I think the issue that we've got is attracting the right or the young people into the industry there's a lot if you look at the industry we are an aging male white middle class industry and i don't necessarily think that's a good thing at the moment we need young blood coming into the industry and i just don't feel that that is happening 
And I don't think that's the fault of the distributors, the mills or anything. I think the problem is deeper. It's, it's actually in the education system. And we've not made metal bashing look sexy. Everybody's talking about IT and design and all these wonderful, nice, soft subjects. But when it actually comes to making stuff, we're not encouraging that within our younger generations. You know, when I was at school, I'd say I did, my, my A-level was in art, but, you know, I could have just as easily done metalwork or woodwork or, or, you know, any of those sorts of technology subjects, as they're called now. But there doesn't seem to be the, the opportunities now to do that as much. No, I think from both ends, isn't it? Not just commercially, but even operationally. We recently had a conversation with with Gail Thomas at TW Metals, didn't we? And one of the things that she quite rightly highlighted is is people coming now to operational work, picking up bars, sheet, plate, you know, and putting it for a guillotine. It's not interesting work. What people want to be working with is robotics, automation, you know, laser, you know, and learning where actually I feel like they're enjoying and they're seeing what their work's doing, isn't it? Whether that's into a different one. So then commercially-wise, there's obviously a very well-known uh, group who obviously bring in people from universities and obviously are doing that way. And hats off to them for doing that. Yeah, that's it. But it's going to the level, I believe, where at schools, there's always a level where not everyone can go to university and not everyone wants to go to college and, and learn. It's kind of picking up that group, really, and going, okay, start having a look at apprenticeship schemes or having a look at schemes to get them the opportunities to to get into that industry and, and talk to them about what the industry is about because actually it's a very well-paid industry really you know like when i left school i went into a kind of minimum wage work i didn't expect to be earning what i earned when i was going around the country selling stainless steel tubes and i found it you know really for what i got paid it was a, it was a, it was a nice job really this podcast is sponsored by the uk metals expo After the successful launch of this event in 2022, the UK Metals Expo will be back at the NEC in Birmingham on the 13th and 14th of September 2023. For podcast listeners, you can secure a 20% discount for booking a stand by quoting the Metal Guys Talk Business when speaking to the event organisers about booking. The UK Metals Expo is an industry event connecting the full supply chain from primary metal manufacture through supply chain, processing, fabrication, surface coating and all the way through to recycling. Effectively, as they used to say in the old days, from melt to market. With full endorsement from the UK Metals Council, its trade members and other industry bodies, the show had great initial credentials and has the potential, in my opinion, to become a huge annual event in the UK, drawing exhibitors and attendees from across the UK and further overseas. With free-to-attend seminars taking place inside the show, it's definitely an event not to be missed by anyone with a career in or around the metal industry. We certainly enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you in 2023. But for now, let's get back to the podcast. Yes, and, and I think that is one of the things. Again, I think there is a view out there that the salaries aren't good within the industry. They might not be the best, but they're certainly decent. I think people are valued, financially valued. But as I say, it's, it's firing that interest. And you know, certainly I feel that that is, is an area of my job now very much is to try and get that message across. You know, there is a concern, again, you know, talking to particularly manufacturers, processors of, of stainless steel, getting people interested or getting people in at 16 is very difficult and getting 
even basic mathematics skills that are usable on the shop floor is quite tough. And, you know, people I've, I've heard quite a lot of people actually saying they've had to drag people back off the shop floor and go and send them to, you know, back to college, basically, to, to get the maths up to a, a standard where they can actually measure things correctly first time, get it right. It's awful, isn't it, really? It doesn't surprise me, if I'm honest. I just, it just, Aesthetic, though, isn't it? I think some, wow. Well, it's not all the time, don't get me wrong, but there are certainly examples of that that I've had quite recently, you know, which is a shame. It's learning skills that apply to the job, isn't it? Now, I didn't know what, you know, when I worked at UKF, I didn't know what two inch, three inch, four inch, inch and seven ounce, all this. You just, yeah, but then you suddenly learn it to what you wanted to put it towards, but you don't, you don't, or all this stuff you don't. And I think, really, if someone had got me at like year nine, they'd have been able to go at year nine or even lower, would have gone, right, Mike, you're not going to get to the point of where you're going to be leveled to go to sixth form or uni or whatever you want to do. So I'd have been better off at that point, putting time and effort into actually being picked up. I mean, it's a totally different subject, but really you'd been better off being picked up by a company or a trade to go and learn skills that would have been better for me when I leave school then really leaving school thinking really where, where the where the hell am I going really and that's and that's a problem and and say so, you know the metals industry isn't a go to for, for for most people sadly at the moment well look at your education then in the industry you know were you mainly self taught did you have a passion for it did you go out there and learn yourself or was the education almost forced down your throat by the companies that you worked in it was a bit of both to be perfectly honest there's certainly training and training policies within all the businesses that I've worked for over that time without having that self-drive and that interest in the, in the products and what you're doing, I wouldn't have done what I've actually done. So, you know, I've, I've got nothing else formal after, you know, after I finished school, I've, I've not done any postgraduate or graduate courses or open university or anything like that. But, you know, I know a reasonable amount about metals. I know a reasonable amount about business. I know a reasonable amount about people. I know a reasonable amount about the law and things like that. But it's all stuff that I've, you know, acquired, acquired yeah. over the years rather than gone out and specifically studied. And, and, yeah, yeah. So I've, all the training I've done over the years, whether this be commercial training or product training or whatever, there's never been bad training. Whatever you do, you, you always learn something out of it. You always take away something. You know, you might sit there for four hours and learn very little, but, you, you, you know, you might get ten minutes out of that four hours that's new or different or makes you think, that's a good idea. But you always get something out of training. And, I, you know, you never, never, ever turn any training down is my yeah. comment on that. No. We've noticed in a lot of the podcasts that we've we've done so far that people that have gone up through the career, and obviously you got yourself up to MD level at Apparant, which is you know fantastic to go from shop floor all the way through. They've had a lot of help from people, you know. So, have there been any people that have been significant in your career that have really helped you kind of push through or make you believe yourself? There's there's always been people that you you look up to or mentor you all the way through your career. 
I've already mentioned Pete Rose from RGB. I thought he was great and he was very, very supportive of me. But when I look at the whole of the RGB managerial team, you know, when I was there, so Roy with Liz Littlejohn, with Pet Matthews, say, unfortunately, Pet's no longer with us, you know, with John Sanyo, they, they all mentored, pushed, you know, and encouraged. So, yes, they were very much key to it. But right the way through, you know, there's always been some good people there that have, have really helped, assisted, you can turn to, and I don't just mean for commercial reasons, but if there's something going wrong, you know, you want some family support or anything like that, if there's that sort of backup, it works. And, uh, yeah, there's been, you know, my, in my in my Otakumpu days, you know, I thought Alison Kinner was always very good. There's there's always been a number of people there that you could pick out as being helpful and, and understanding and, and good for, you know, your own personal development. What was it like being the MD of Apparam? What was it like? That's an interesting question. Yeah, what was it like? No, but the only reason I ask that is, is, that, is obviously, I think sometimes in the UK, especially like flat products, there's obviously two big boys with Anatokumpu and a Serenox. So like, I suppose branding of Aparam, it's almost, I'd imagine it's, uh, it, it, you know, obviously they've got meals, not both flat tube, you know, obviously got global global presence, haven't haven't they? But sometimes, you know, when you're working in kind of big distribution companies like I did, you know, obviously the two are, are pretty, obviously strong, both in the UK and across Europe. So, I mean, did that come with its challenges or? Oh, of course. You know, Aparam, if you look at volume sales into the UK, Aparam was the third player. But there was a big gap between the two top ones and then Aparam coming in at number three. So it was always a challenge. But we always had to pick the targets. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to give Apparham's secrets away no, there no, or, no, 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 or customer base or anything like that. But it was working and developing particular relationships, you know, particular customers, and working with them. You know, Apparham's policies is different to the two big players in the UK. I don't think, you know, like every other business, of course they want to grow and develop, but it's not a matter of at any cost. So yeah, was you just in charge for the flat roll, or was it all all products like tube? Because they've got they used to have a tube mill down there in France. Do they? Is it in France? Is it the tube mill? They no longer have a tube mill in France. They do in the Czech Republic, but no, we weren't responsible for tubular sales in the UK. That's uh, an independent arm of the business. So we were just purely doing the flats. All right. I'm so glad I never did flat sales. Everyone speaks about flat products. It just sounds like a massive headache. It's a lot with of the price, yeah, the tonnage. You've got to turn it that fast, and the prices are all over the shop. It's like when the price, when the market's going up, it's great. When you get now, when you get an order for like a hundred, I mean, yeah. we'd get orders for like fifty ton, a hundred ton. This gentleman would have had orders for thousands and thousands of tons, but it is nice. I say the headache with sheets when you're doing distribution. You have a bloke come on and he goes, "I'm after one eight by four, sixteen gauge, three or four, two B, PC one." And then he goes through about 50 different sizes because he's a laser cutting company. You're running out of your day book. And then he says, uh, yeah, so you can price it up. And you go, yeah, no problem. I'll give you a call back. Can you do it while you're on hold? You're like, you're having a laugh, mate. I've got like 50 items here of all different ones. And he'd go from eight before 10 to 2,500, 1,250. And you think, oh, my God. Then you stick a Birmingham wire gauge in there for you. But like, oh, my God. This is like something off a, it's like a quiz. As I said, I'm glad I never did that. Yeah. I know. That was the headache of it. When people just come on for ton packs or just, it's 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 easy because really there's only a certain amount of sizes. The flat products boys say the same about tubular products. 
oh, I don't understand all these, you know, schedule wall thicknesses. And then they go on to saying ODs and IDs and, and oh, don't get all that business either. So, I used to love so, that. Tube, tube was just, and, yeah. and fittings, you know, again, I mean, fittings yeah, is just like another totally different yeah, world. You have, to, you have to be an eccentric lot of pizza sell fittings. It's not that hard. It's really not. But it's not. If you've got, if I, I find, I must admit, I always found doing the fittings and flanges side of it quite interesting because it's almost like put, putting a jigsaw together. And then I want to get from this and side to that side. You can make money. You can. And you can make money. money. Yeah, you it's can brilliant. actually. Yeah. yeah. We digress. So you joined, or say you joined. You, you've taken over at the BSSA now. Yes. I got down here on your LinkedIn profile. It says April. You're telling me it's now June. I've so which one was it? <laughs> June? <laughs> June, yes. So timing yes. wise. Oh, timing was horrendous. I bet it was perfect, wasn't it? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Yes. No, I'd, I'd been speaking to the BSSA for a little while on this. Um, basically, the COVID coming on really just put the kibosh on things for a while. I had to put a hold and make sure that APRAM was COVID safe as, as best we can. You know, we, we had to look at basically closing the office down, moving people to working from home, making sure the IT systems, phone systems were right, uh, making sure people had the right equipment, you know, they had the right spaces at home, the, you know, desks, chairs, whatever people needed to ensure that they could work efficiently, safely. Yeah, we did that as well, mate, didn't we? Well, I just realised when you're working from home briefly, and then when you're trying to do it full time, you're right. You don't have a desk. You don't have the proper chair. It's like you're literally, you know, using your dining table. With it's just it was yeah, just yeah. Awful. The number of people that I've spoken to in the last eighteen months that are sat in their bedroom or you know whatever, and IKEA did well out of it. Yeah, IKEA have done very well out of it. Yes, yes. So, how did the opportunity come about? You obviously just mentioned there they'd been kind of are tapping you up almost. Right? No, no, that isn't the case. Uh, I've been on the board of the BSSA for a number of years, and I've, and I've been involved in the BSSA for many, many years in various guises, you know, turning up at meetings, getting a bit involved with the marketing and technology side. So, you know, I always thought there was value in the BSSA. I've always believed it's a good organisation that should wave the flag of stainless steel. You know, ultimately, the BSSA's reason to exist is to promote the use of stainless steel. So it had been something that had been there in the back of my mind for a while. And I have to be honest and say I was quite ill with something that was very similar to COVID, but before COVID was thought about at the back end of last year. And it made me consider various things in my life. And I thought, you know what? I might not get an opportunity to put my hat into the ring for the BSSA again. I think people sometimes think that running the BSA is something that you do at the end of quite a long and successful career, and and I don't necessarily think that. I think we need a bit of drive and some newer ideas. I'm not a young person by any stretch of the imagination. I think you're right, though, what you said. That's what I've seen over the years I've been in the industry. That it's almost the farewell gig, isn't it? That's what that, I know that sounds, I know that sounds terrible. But, well, I'll pop off but this no, mortal coil yeah, now, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. shall I? So. But it's like, you know, like it's the last job you, you know, I think that's the way it's been seen, hasn't it? I think yeah. your thing, well, now you're like saying bring in drive. You're trying to bring new ideas. And I think a lot of associations, the ones that we've, obviously members of Alfred being another really to kind of to change the way an association is seen 
Tom Tom has done a very good job at, at Alfred, and I think you know the way that Alfred is now in comparison to what it was a few years ago is is just a massive turnaround, and is not the old boys club that I think you know that it, it maybe was looked at, and I think the BSSA has also been looked at as you know over the years, not by everybody but by certain people out there, and we want to change that. And I thought, well, you know what, I've had thirty years ish, ish, yeah, yeah. Ish, just, ish, yeah, within the business. You know, maybe I have an opportunity to try and give something back to the industry as well. Love a bit of altruism. That's my favourite. You know, when you like the drive and what you want to give back. You know, when you've kind of, I suppose, before you go in a role, you have an idea of what you want to do. Then you get in the role and you're like, okay, it's different, isn't it? So, what are you? What would you like, sir? It's it's very yeah. The the role is is very different because I went in there, you know, glossy eyed and thinking, oh, I can change this and do this, and you know, we can do. 10 different courses and I can, you know, do all loads of things. And it, and it doesn't quite work like that. Finance is a, a, a tight. We're, we're, you know, we're a self-financing, not-for-profit organisation. We rely totally on our members to fund us. You know, we have obviously costs there. So, yeah, there's, there's things that you potentially can't do or can't do quickly. Sounds like a corporate environment, Rob. <laughs> Probably slightly more flexible than a corporate yeah, environment. I'd imagine yes. so. I'd imagine <laughs> yes. so. Um, but, you know, we, we haven't got a big reserve. We haven't got a, a big bank. We haven't got an overdraft that we can just say, you know what, we want to spend another 50 grand on doing this or 20 grand on doing that. No, we've, we've got to fund that before we can do anything. So that side of it is is quite different from, from you know, my, my past career working predominantly for corporates where, you know, I can pick up the phone to mother and say, can we have? Yeah. And to which the answer is yes or no. Well, actually, it's generally we'll go away and think about it for a while and, you know, then come back. So that is very different. I think from what I want to do and to, to drive and develop is, you know, I think we've got a lot that we can offer our members. I think we need to make stainless steel or the stainless steel industry more vocal. There's a lot of government policy, you know, one of the things I'd never expected to get quite so tied up in in Brexit and Brexit issues after I joined. You know, obviously we knew that Brexit was coming and all the rest of it. I'm not going to say I'm an expert in all the policies and procedures and things that were involved in Brexit. But to be honest, I've learned an awful lot. I've also made some good connections within government and within government departments, within the civil service, within the support associations, CBI, all these sorts of things, the various chambers of commerce, you know, all these sorts of things that that can really help businesses. And ultimately, what I want to do is I want to be there to assist and help businesses and give our members value for money. Ultimately, that's what it's about. I've got to provide services that offer value for money for our members. You mentioned... That part of the job, I mean, you've, you've really touched on it there, is getting value for the members. How do you go about, because you, you said this earlier, how do you go about doing the promotion of stainless steel more widely? You know, how are we getting stainless steel into new applications? Because that's to me, that sounds like that's a tough gig. Yeah, certainly to go into new applications is a very tough area. What we've been doing so far in this is opening up discussions, particularly with with other trade associations, actually, initially. So, you know, I've just been talking with the Metal Packaging Association and, you know, are there opportunities there for stainless steel within, you know, looking particularly at recyclable or reusable metal packaging? 
and how can that be influenced? So, you know, first of all, we'll start talking to the association. What we'll then do is, is if there is some synergies there, you know, well, we obviously don't, we're not looking at poaching members or anything like that, but we're looking at, at offering solutions potentially to other organizations, to other associations for problems that are being seen out there. So, you know, that's one of the areas that we're doing. Again, you know, we're talking a lot more to the likes of the CBI with the UK Metals Council, all these sorts of people as well, just to explain and say, you know, hang on, have we thought about or what's the impact of stainless steel? What can stainless steel do in this industry? And things like the net zero economy, things like that, you know, stainless steel is going to be a big player in that. You know, we hope there's going to be some good growth opportunities there. And again, it's a matter of, of waving the flag and, and making sure that people think about the materials that they're looking, you know, they're looking at for these new applications. Well, that's what I was going to ask next. I was going to say, you know, where are the growth areas? Because I'm just thinking like stainless steel, it's been around a while now. Let's be honest. Just over 100 years. Exactly. So it's kind of most of the applications you'd assume, unless something, something just appears, it, it's already being used in. So... I'm just interested about those kind of growth areas and maybe for some of the companies that might be listening, it's kind of, you know, wh where should they be going? What are the things that are, that are going to be jumping? It's so difficult to actually give specifics on that. But, you know, you've got to think about, right, okay, there's a lot of discussion out there about single-use plastics and stopping that. So, okay, so where could stainless steel be used as a replacement for plastics, for instance? Now, it might not be an obvious one, but drinking straws. How many plastic straws are there out there? Now, one of our members has started making stainless steel straws. Your missus has got one, hasn't she? Yeah, she's got a 430 dull polished <laughs> stainless steel straw. Is it deep bird? Well, yeah, it's lovely, mate, honestly. Yeah. Bead removed, mate. Bead controlled. Yes. It's a, uh, yeah. Yeah, she has got a standing steel straw, mate. Yeah. So, you know, simple things like that, but that can, you know, that that's really going to help in our drive to remove single-use plastics out of the economy. Another good example, although saying that it's it's a bit on hold at the moment, is the use of stainless steel cups at festivals. So yeah. you you go into a festival and rather than get your beer in a in a plastic chuck away cup, you pay a five pound deposit as you walk in yeah like you get a german market for your glass and then you yeah. forget to yeah. give it back yeah and then you forget to, yeah and, and well you know it, it's it's five quid you keep your cup you've got a great souvenir and it's something there or you go and hand it back in and you get your five quid back and you've saved god knows you know what what they make out of like just like that be cheaper than four thirty like two oh two so it'd be a real have to be a really kind of cheap state <laughs> would though wouldn't it i'm just thinking i mean it's great isn't it just thinking, you know, like might, might, might be worth sticking a stock around you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously, it's it's got to be a grade that's drawable. So you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, currently a lot of those are coming out the Far East, but I think that there's certainly a potential there for you know UK or European manufacturers to jump on that bandwagon. The market could be absolutely massive if we get back to doing festivals again. Yeah. Happy days. I wonder about, like, you know, you said about single-use. Everyone thinks about carrier bags, don't they? And you're almost like, can they use, like, woven meshes or things like that? I mean, they're going to be bloody expensive, but it's they're going to look pretty good, aren't they? It just depends. Well, they are, yeah. I mean, again, another example that one of the major supermarkets was looking at quite recently is, again, if you go to your salad bar in your local Tesco's or Asda's or whatever, you've got what a single-use plastic thing. But again, if, if you have an opportunity there to have a stainless steel pay your deposit 
take away a stainless steel container with a lid on it rather than your plastic one. So there's there's loads of there's loads of opportunities just on that side, and we've not even touched on things like you know we've we've had the announcement today of the new battery factory. Yeah, the the gigawatt one. The gigawatt one up yeah. in Sunderland to partner with Nissan up there. Again, you know there's going to be stainless in that. Be like heat sinks, I would have thought. Yeah, casings for the batteries, things like that. You know, there's all sorts of applications out there. The hydrogen industry which is something that, that people are very, very seriously looking at, that will be a, potentially for stainless steel, that can be really big because, one, you need stainless steel in the production of hydrogen. The temperatures suit stainless steel very nicely, low temperatures, but also distribution. So, you know, if, if you're going to a hydrogen station rather than a petrol station to fill up your hydrogen-fueled car, you'll find that the storage and the dispensing equipment will more than likely end up being a stainless steel. There's opportunities there. You know, you look at things like offshore wind. At the moment, those wind turbines are carbon steel, and they go out and paint them every 18 months. Well, you know... Yeah, like the fourth road bridge. Yeah. Could we not use stainless steel at the bottom of those? Yeah. And then you you fit and forget, and you don't have to go and send somebody out with a paintbrush in the middle of the North Sea. Well, Edge and Murray have gone big into that, haven't they? They've gone mad, because they just sacked off all their sites didn't they just went yeah we're going to go for this yeah yeah it's amazing really big changes so you know i think there's 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 a lot of potential out there for more growth in in the stainless steel market and i'm sure i've only just scratched the surface there yeah you know the other thing is is the government are very much getting on on board with it the uk's metals council which the bsa are part of we're looking at hosting a metals expo in september of next year at the nec to really work with businesses to, you know, encourage the use of, of metals, full stop. And that's going to be at the NEC? And that should be at the NEC, yeah. Yeah, right. Without trying to pitch the BSSA, what do they do and why do people join the association? I mean, you give us, a, you know, a fair few uh, industries to go out. I might even get back into it myself after, uh, you know. Are you getting excited listening to it? I love stainless. I'm such a geek. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Amron Architectural. Amara Architectural are a company that I've been working with for nearly two years now and the business has grown rapidly over that time. Um, Very experienced staff, uh, very knowledgeable within the architectural interior design space. Um, The ethos of the company is to kind of inspire choice, engage uh, and work with metals and meshes of all different types. They work with classic woven meshes all the way through to bespoke profile cladding panels. And uh, you know the experience of the guys there is—I would say—it's—it's it's right up there in the um, in the UK. They've developed a full range of systems for all aspects of internal and external environments, from bespoke ceilings, gantry systems, specialised partitions to large external facade systems, and, and pretty much everything in between. Um, I think the thing that strikes me about these guys is um, they're. They're interested in clients' ideas. They like to talk to clients. They like to know what's happening and develop the systems that fit with the with the trends, but also the design requirements um, of the architects in the industry and the and the clients. So, yeah, a company that definitely go in places. It's great to have them as a as a sponsor of the podcast. Um, and if you're looking to create those exciting internal and external designs, then um, these are the guys to talk to. 
okay, I'll, I'll go with a straight pitch because there's no point in messing around with it. Okay. Well, the Stainless Steel Association is here. We are predominantly there to promote the use of stainless steel through the industries, as we've spoken about, but also to train and educate. That doesn't necessarily mean training sessions. You know, that that can just be spreading of news, spreading of information out there, making people aware of what's going on. That's certainly a key factor. The other thing that we, we are doing and increasingly doing, and I'm certainly spending a lot of time doing, is being a voice for the industry as well to government, to the likes of the CBI, who are very influential with government as well. So we need our voice heard out there. That you know, it's not all a bed of roses by any stretch of the imagination, and we need assistance. We need to help manufacturers capitalise on the wonderful product that we've got. So there's that side of it. Also, how do we help businesses grow, develop, introduce new technologies? Can we point them in the right direction of funding or grants through businesses, or through government bodies? I should say. So we've got, you know, I, th- I think we've got quite a lot of, of things to, to offer. We've got networking opportunities. We have, you know, this year in September, we have a conference in the West Midlands where we've got five fantastic speakers coming to speak during the day. And <laughs> Not you, Peter. <laughs> he said fant- yeah, fantastic he said, speakers. He said fantastic, <laughs> not average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, followed by a dinner for our members. And there's going to be some good networking opportunities there. We've got people that, you know, to be honest, haven't come to our dinners for a while or, or at all, actually, some of them. And, you know, we believe we, we, we're opening this up to a, a wider variety of people. Obviously, when I think the bits, I look at it from kind of a stockholder point of view. That's when I've always been a member. Always used to quite like giving the technical questions to your team, which they were very good at. Yeah. But also, when I've done a few training courses, there's also kind of engineering companies involved in the British Danish Steel Association, whether that's street furniture manufacturers or anything else, I suppose, really, with stainless, with general fabrication. Yeah, yeah we, we, have, we have, you know, fabricators, manufacturers within the uh, the, the association. You know, our split, we're, we're, we're a relatively small association at the moment. We're about 150 members. Uh, and the split is, is, it's quite noticeable. There's about a third of distributors. Yeah. A third are end users. And that's predominantly SMEs, yep. but we do have some larger businesses. And we, we literally have one-man bands right the way through to, to you know, multinational companies. How important is that to try and grow those kind of end users, fabrication, manufacturers, you know, especially for kind of networking events, I suppose, when you've got such a strong supply chain who, who comes to your, to yeah, your yeah. dinners? Yeah, the supply chain is, is very strong and always attends very well at these sorts of events. We do need to spread that out. So, again, we've got to look at where we hold our functions, how we hold our functions. And, again, this is part of my view or my my picture for the BSSA going further forward. You know, we've always been very much face-to-face focused. Well, you know, COVID's put an end to that. So, you know, we've got to look at how we promote ourselves, our methods of, of training, our methods of promotion of stainless out there. So, you know, we're working on that side of things. You know, we've been doing more online training courses this year. And the view going further forward is we want to expand on that. I think it's good how you send out your 
not inquiries, but well, they are kind of inquiries, I suppose, but technical questions to the members. Yes. I'll get an email every Friday and I always look through it, mainly see if there's any leads. You never well, know. They, well, they are. They, they, they are sales. They are, they are, this is, no this other is association does that, for as far as I believe. And I'm amazed of how many you get each week. There's always a healthy number, really. If, uh, you're obviously getting an attraction that comes through your website where people reach out to your staff. We, we found, to be perfectly honest, the inquiry numbers have reduced. And this is not a, a, a recent thing. This has been going on for, for a number of years. And I suspect that now a lot of people orig- you know, initially go out to the websites. Now, whether it's the BSSA or the mills or the distributors or whatever, there's a phenomenal amount of information out there. The questions that our technical guys are being asked now tend to be, the more difficult questions and some experience certainly helps us to be able to answer those you know it's not very often now that we get somebody ringing up saying we've got tea staining on our stainless how do we get rid of it because you know you can find that quite easily on on our website or on numerous other websites yeah so the questions now do tend to take a lot longer to resolve they they tend to be quite in-depth questions but there's always a, a reasonable number on a week-by-week basis now i think it's good how you share that information could you give us because when, when i was chatting on the phone with you before we did the podcast i mean without naming names of companies and things like that certain companies are really making the most of their membership by yes. getting very close with you mm-hmm. and the bssa in general yeah, team in general yeah so can you maybe give us an example of, you know, what you're doing for those companies that are really utilising what you're doing and how it's benefited them? There's a few quite simple measures that we've been doing and, and sharing with the members. One of the things that we were, I was, I was getting bombarded with actually when I first joined was was questions regarding safeguarding measures and and how much material was coming in and you know how much of the quotas were available. So what we've done is now we send out on a weekly basis an update of the quotas. So, you know, things like that, you know, really do help people to make judgments, you know, whether they're manufacturers, whether they're distributors, you know, however it works, at least they've got a picture of what's going on, what's coming in, what's not coming in to the market. So that's certainly been one area. We've been helping people with updates on the, well, the CE marking now, the UKCA and the UKNI marking systems. You know, we've got quite a bit of advice on that going on. Imports, exports, all these sorts of areas as well, where, you know, we've got a lot of information that we can feed into people. So, you know, and we try and work that and, and, and answer the specific questions on probably the more procedural side of things rather than just the technical side. So it sounds like things are changing, aren't they? You, you touched on it there, some of the questions about tea staining they've got. So how do you think the market is changing, you know, and what, what's exciting you going forward and what do you foresee might be the new challenges for businesses? I know it's a big question. That, that is a massive question. Yeah, sorry, mate. So if we if we target in on you know the changes really because you, you can see it in your career, you've seen how it's changed and things have developed. But you know where do you think it's going? What what do you think are the are the big changes that we're gonna gonna see in the future? I think if I can split it down into different different areas on this, and I think if we start off really where probably what we've spoken about before, which is getting people involved in the business 
getting people to be interested in, in, in stainless steel. And I think there's going to be a lot of investment. A lot's going to go on with, with the zero carbon environment. So it's how do we get efficient machinery, efficiencies in production, increased GDP, increased production out of companies, you know, looking at profitability. Are we going to see a movement back into the UK of component manufacturing? I think there'll be some of that, certainly, going further forward. So I think there's quite a lot going on policy-wise that's going to be quite interesting. Product-wise, again, you know, we've already spoken about this. I can see the renewable side of things, the hydrogen economy, all these sorts of things. These, these are new and exciting you know, the deposit return type products that are out there. You know, there's a, a white paper going through Parliament at the moment. They're looking for, for comments and advice on that. You know, so there's a lot, there's an awful lot happening with the marketplace at the moment. You know, life cycle costing. We've had our first stainless steel bridge, road bridge in the UK, has just, you know, was installed. Was that? that was up in Cumbria. And was installed in the early part of this year. Why did they choose to do that? There's there's several reasons on this. The first one is design. They wanted a lightweight, light-looking bridge to replace a very old stone bridge that got washed away in the floods up in Cumbria, what, three, four, five years ago? I can't remember exactly. But they looked at the design. Was that where the kids were having to walk miles to get to school? Yeah, at one stage, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they put a temporary bridge in it for a while, but, you know, this is obviously the, the replacement, the proper job, yeah. But, you know, it's a beautiful environment, and they wanted to open that up as much as possible rather than have a big concrete and traditional steel bridge in there. So, you know, they've installed a bridge with a nice open structure to it. But the other thing is they were looking at the life cycle costs. They want a bridge that will last 120 years. They don't have to repaint this every X many years. They don't have problems with spalling concrete and, you know, some of the other issues that, that come with, with bridge manufacture. You know, they've got a bridge there that, you know, is, is in stainless steel. It's actually a duplex stainless steel that they don't have to do anything with. Absolutely, so, yeah. It's not going to weather, is it? No. And yeah. duplex. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just get the best. Get the best put it in there but you know again they've obviously done a lot of work on the costings of that and actually duplex isn't it's not that different from 316 no. yeah it's just how it's been sold hasn't it over the years but it's all yeah duplex has, has traditionally been sold as a as a rolls royce type product but in fact actually it's a good workhorse and the fact that you can utilize the strengths of stainless steel to reduce the weight uh, so you reduce the tonnage that goes into the bridge. You reduce the tonnage that goes into the bridge. It means less groundworks, you know, less support. So there's all these sorts of factors. So the construction costs actually can be quite good, and it's worth having a look at. It's a, it's a, it's called Pooley Bridge, and certainly go and have a look on the website about it. There's a load of really good information, and our friends at Otakumpu were involved in that, and you know, it's a really good example of of utilizing stainless steel in a new industry for us so you know there's lots of lots of opportunities coming on stream this podcast is sponsored by anglo stainless anglo stainless are a stockholder of pipe fittings and flanges based in the uk um, i've had the pleasure of working with anglo stainless for well for many years actually uh, i've experienced the quality of their materials and service firsthand with um, thousands of items in stock from low pressure BSP all the way through to high pressure forge fittings as well as butt weld, hygienic gaskets, pipes, valves and flanges to suit. They're a great place to find the products you need all in one place. 
They've got a really experienced team supplying products across the UK and also overseas. But for more details, check out the podcast show notes or give them a call. Uh, They come well recommended from me and will be a great addition to anyone's supplier network. Order with confidence from the team at Anglo Stainless. But now, let's get back to the podcast. We've got another big question for you. If we briefly go back to Brexit that you, you mentioned... I suppose it might be difficult to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. But how do you see Brexit affecting the market? Because I think it's kind of been glossed over a bit because of COVID. Everyone's kind of just kind of half ignoring it, really, in the press. But where do you see the potential ramifications for, you know, the fallout from Brexit, really? Do you think it's going to be quite, you know, it's going to hinder us? At the moment, the market's booming, so everyone's just like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But... You know, what do you see longer term? Do you think there's going to be some negative impacts or do you think we're going to be okay? That That is a, a really, really tough question to... Uh, I know. I know, yeah, absolutely. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to it. If you're looking at some of the disadvantages, first of all, we don't actually really fully understand how it's all going to come together. The, the government policy is still being developed. You know, there's been press releases today again about how we can look at increased funding on a regional basis for industry but how's that going to work in a level playing field competition rules that we've we've agreed with the eu so you know there's there's still a lot to work out i think the paperwork side of it is a lot more difficult than anybody ever dreamt of and the on costs of that and who picks those up Somebody's going to pick them up at some stage. And also the increased costs of transport. Now, you know, there is a shortage of transport globally anyway, but there is also a reluctance from shippers in in the continent for their drivers to come over to the UK because they know it's going to take longer to go through the processes and, you know, they're paid on kilometres driven rather than anything else so you know there's on costs there that we haven't really got to the bottom of yet as an industry and well as a country to be perfectly honest so i think there's further issues before we come out of it now you know there's, there's another side of it you know the brexit has, has really focused the government particularly on uk manufacturing which is something we've not seen from a government for yeah probably 40 50 years and that's got to be good for for us. It's got to be good for growth. It's got to be good for our own economy. So maybe some good will come out of it. I think the jury is out at the moment, to be perfectly honest, in the industry as a whole. Been spending a lot of time down in London, hasn't he? He's right on that fence there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very political. Um, no, it's, it's very hard to give an honest answer to that because I think different businesses are. Some of them are. Some of them are relishing it. Some of them. Some of them are finding it Depends really what hard going, you're in, isn't it? Yeah, and it depends what sector you're in. Depends how far up the supply chain you are. I'm sure our our European mill friends are probably not too enthusiastic about it. Some of our distributor friends are probably very enthusiastic about it. So you know, there's there's lots of at the moment. You know, the view is is very varied. How about the like the dumping tariffs? Because this was another thing that we kind of touched upon. You know, at the moment. Yeah, safeguarding. But there's dumping tariffs that we have on products that we do not produce in the UK. We don't produce them at all. And they're used in (laughs) certain areas. Yeah. So, um, you know, just humor me for a moment. But do you think 
that a lot of these dumping tariffs that the EU have placed on materials are going to be repealed? You know, do you think we're going to go, actually, let's get shot of them? Because realistically, that could be advantageous for what you're saying about the government in terms of pushing UK manufacturing. We can buy materials more cheaply. Yet we're aware that they're only still representative of X amount of the physical cost of them producing. Mm. But surely if there's tariffs that are, say, 80%, 60%, 30% and things like that, to get rid of those could be hugely advantageous or, or it could be, you know, it could be significant at least. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a number of issues out there. Section 232, so the US tariffs and, and the impacts that are going on is, is one area. Not that that affects stainless steel particularly, but our friends in the aluminium industry are, are impacted quite strongly on, on that side of it. As far as the tariffs are concerned, as far as exports into the EU is concerned, because, you know, under the EU safeguarding measures, there are a number of products out there that the EU do restrict imports from the UK before implementing the 25% tariff charge. I'm not sure how big an impact that would have eventually, you know, on, on our business. You know, they've just agreed those now for the next three years. The numbers that I've looked at on those seem sensible. But we'll see what the marketplace says. You know, they look sensible on figures from three years ago. Yeah. What they look like in three years' time, it could be another matter. If you're looking at imports and the duties into the UK, the safeguarding measures that have come through, again, the government have, have actually just moved or they've not accepted the full recommendations on under the TRA review that's just been undertaken. So, you know, we're talking on the 1st of July. This was only announced this morning, so I've not had a chance to look at what those numbers now are for the stainless steel industry. But I don't think it's going to have a major impact on us. I was very frustrated that certain stainless steel products are being combined with carbon steel products, hollow section being one that's a major concern, and, and tubular products as well. We've not been successful in getting stainless steel removed from those tariff quotas, unfortunately, at this time. There is a UK production capability for those products. But to be honest, at the moment, it's for a very specialist area, specialist markets. We're not, That's the thing, isn't it? You know, you can't yeah. compete with commodity-type products. It's very hard. Yeah, we haven't, got anybody, make them. we haven't got anybody producing 304, oh, sorry, 430 box section for the catering industry. You know, and that can impact us you know, as we go further on. And and if manufacturing does really take off, you know, maybe these quotas aren't going to be big enough for us to survive without triggering the tariffs. Mm, be interesting to see how that So goes. it'll be interesting to work out. I think, you know, as it stands now, we are overall relatively comfortable with the outcomes. Whether that will be the same case in two years, three years' time is another matter. And I personally am concerned about quotas and, and safeguarding measures and full stop. Why have they been put in with carbon? Historically, that's where they were, and the EU have done the same. Mm. That's that's happened time immemorial, hasn't it's, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, same time immemorial. I mean, these were introduced about four or five years ago. So, so not time immemorial. Ignore what I just said there. Yeah. <laughs> but but no, they 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 put certain product groups together. And and there was some inclusion of stainless steel in with carbon, which 
yeah being a stainless steel man we 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 we're special we should yeah, be alone we should be on well, our we're, own we're, we're top end aren't we you know we're like white tries being <laughs> put in the same basket as little <laughs> or even worse farm foods <laughs> Well, look, this has been a really good podcast. I really enjoyed this. We, got, we can't get away. Like, the last question, Pete always asks this, but I'm going to take it. What's your biggest mistake? Was it joining the stainless steel industry? Or? Yeah. Not, not going to art college, which is what I intended yeah. to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to dodge this bullet as well. Uh, you see. Come on. Um, you know, going through a career, you, yeah, you make plenty of mistakes in there. I think the thing is, all the mistakes I made. I've never, I've never managed to hurt anybody or kill anybody. Thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Result. <laughs> you, you haven't supplied the wrong material in then, and uh, there's been an oh, explosion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've 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 supplied the wrong materials and done you, all you sorts of stuff like that. You know, you, you must have yeah, at one yeah. stage. Must have had like you know a hundred ton order for three one six ti, and they got three one six L. Never been quite that disastrous, but yeah, we've we've had quite a few, you know, hiccups over the years. You know, I've supplied some pipe work into a chemical plant that should have been high carbon and wasn't, and you know, there's been various things like that. The thing is, is is everybody makes mistakes. Nobody should be shot for a mistake, know, you know, a genuine mistake like that. And if you learn something from it and don't do the bloody thing again, that's the message to take yeah, away from it. I know. I wish. I and it remember. doesn't matter what what it is, whether it's you know, whether it's materials whether it's how you manage a situation, whether it's how you manage a customer, you know, whether it's, oh, you know what, I should never take that contract because the margin looked terrible now, and you know, all these sorts of things. We've all done them. We will continue to do them, but it's learning from them. The way you answered it is way better than I did when I had a massive container full of tube come in at Tissom. I wish I'd have had that response. <laughs> Where I'm sticking all this stuff. <laughs> it's all wrong. It's not annealed. It's not this. Yeah, should have handled it. It's a lot better. Sure, next time, I make it an absolute cocker. I want to give it the Rob Cooper. <laughs> well, look, thanks for joining us, Rob. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you it's, very much. Uh, it's been a, a, an enjoyable afternoon. It has indeed. It has indeed. You look happy. Yeah, because I just remember I said we left a tab of thirteen eighty. Just let everyone know we did pay that tab. <laughs> yeah. We did pay. We, you know, we said that we, you know, we have paid it. But yeah, yeah it was, you uh, paid it three days later, though, didn't you? When you got told off, I went in with the missus. I know. I didn't even know. I thought you picked it up. <laughs> my, my, we we left. Normally we tidy up, don't we? And we kind of bought all the kit back, picked up some phone calls, and forgot. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I won't. One of, the, one of those things, done us a favour, you're doing 12 months dry. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting listening to Rob because he's, he's so, obviously, passionate about growing the association, you know, and I think he kind of... Well, he doesn't want to be seen as kind of, it's the jobs for the boys at the end of the career. And, again, yeah. traditionally, I think you go back many years, it always did seem like a bit of a, a retirement job. Oh, thanks for your time in the industry. Just you know, do the jolly and shake a few hands. But I think Rob's, you know, he's really trying to push that association forward. And, you know... Well, we've, we've seen it this year where he's, the dinner's moves from Sheffield to come to Birmingham. You know, he's obviously a lot of time and effort with not just Rob, but with the team as well, going to putting these dinners on um, and giving us platforms for everyone to be able to network with, you know, different parts of the industry, doesn't it? 
You know, mm. there's a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of news that comes out about the industry every week. Um, the quality of the speakers is good, though, isn't it, at the events? You know, after the pod was recorded um, last year, obviously there was the 2021 event at the Belfry, and obviously earlier this year in 2022, we were... We were at the Grand Hotel in Birmingham, but the speakers there and the kind of the knowledge that's been imparted into the industry, you know, without pitching them as an association, it like it's invaluable. You know, it really is quality. So I think they're going to try and push what they're going to be doing so it's more regionalised. So rather than just having these one event a year that might be North or South or Midlands, I think they're going to be looking to do these smaller events more locally, either online, because obviously a lot of people are quite happy to jump online, or in person. So, yeah, hopefully that will be the way that the BSSA changes. But, yeah, good... Um, a good podcast. Yeah, re- yeah, really good podcast, listening back to it again as well. It's... Um, yeah, interesting. So, look forward to getting, you know, getting back in touch with Rob and potentially doing some more work with him this year. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> Thank you to our sponsors: the UK Metal Expo, Amron Architectural, Anglo Stainless. And uh, yeah, we can continue on to the next one next week, don't we? Yeah, Andrew Milner. Andrew Milner. Yeah. Ask Andrew. Hashtag yeah. Ask Andrew. Yeah. Ask Andrew. Yeah. yeah. I know. Flew in from Australia for this podcast. Well, he was coming to see his mum and dad, mate. I mean, like he didn't necessarily come to yeah, trying to spin it. Honestly, you need to you need to promote this. You need to just you know swooped him in on business class. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I don't think he came business class. I thought Compton Group paid for it. We didn't. Pay. No, 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 Mr. Mr. Accreditation is with uh, he was in the hot seat for uh, for next week, so yeah. stay tuned. It'll be out on uh, on Tuesday next week. Yeah, we couldn't have better said with Kate's because we're skinned. <laughs> yeah.